This is episode 32 with founder of Nova Zora Digital and host of the Digital Savage Experience podcast, Roman Prokopchuk. This is Pencil Leadership. My name is Chris Anderson. And finally realizing my master's degree only taught me so much, I decided to start on a journey to learn more about what it truly means to be a pencil leader and how we can leave a positive mark on people and the world around us. So each week, I'm going to bring you a topic or a guest that will help guide us on our way to grow and leave a positive mark wherever we go. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. Roman is actually a first-generation immigrant from the Ukraine, um, but he was forced to um, kind of get into a new industry with the 2008 recession, um, actually into the digital marketing world, where he self-taught himself how to do it and ended up falling in love with the career, actually. And so he has 11 years of experience um, leading digital teams uh, and senior leadership roles on over 600 campaigns across a lot of different industries. Um, and he actually founded his own company, Nova Zora Digital, in 2012. Um, and on top of that, he is the host of Digital Savage Experience Podcast, which is a top 100 podcast on Apple Podcasts for how to. Um, and then just adding to his resume, he is a foster parent. And I believe they've fostered over 20, 20 children, which is just amazing. So that just shows the kind of person he is, the kind of heart he has to help people. And so super excited to have Roman on the show. Roman, welcome. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, I guess a little introduction, but would you like to expand a little bit more on, on your story and how you've gotten to where you are today? Yep. So I came to the U.S., like you said, from Ukraine in 1990 when I was five. Uh, Ukraine got its independence from the Soviet Union in 92, so it was still under kind of the USSR. We came here, uh, myself and six other family members, to a two-bedroom apartment. And basically, we had a sponsor here, and away you came. During that time, we had to go through uh, Vienna, Austria, and Rome, Italy, and then here. Wow. So when I came here, I got in right into kindergarten. And I uh, had to learn English. I guess that was the biggest hurdle. I didn't speak the language, but being a child that young, you pick up languages and kind of phonetics really quickly. And that's why I don't think I have an accent at this point. Mm. Somebody came over when they were like 16, 17, the way your brain's already programmed for language, regardless of how long you are in that country, you know that language, you'll have an accent. So I went to school here, obviously, kindergarten to 12th grade. I went to Rutgers University have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Last semester, I interned with the Secret Service on the counterfeit currency squad with a top secret federal clearance, which is cool for an intern and a college student. But uh, even being there uh, in terms of a uh, criminal justice role, I saw it's not necessarily a right fit for me based on you have to move around and be repositioned uh, and re kind of stationed every few years to a different post. And you have to serve kind of the Washington, D.C. duty one time in your career. So kind of that presidential vice VP uh, protective duty. And uh, even before that, I, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to do criminal justice. But when I graduated, the recession hit. So I was applying to state, local and federal agencies. And all of them basically kind of froze hiring and spending money. So I was kind of down for a few months. I was depressed. Only thing that really kept me sane was going to the gym. And then I met someone, luckily. And they basically said, after one workout, come outside to my car. When I give you something, maybe it'll help. Which the conversation and that scenario could have went a lot of different ways. Yeah. 
But uh, I, I went outside, they opened their trunk and they handed me like a 50 page packet about search engine optimization. They said, read this, go online for about a month or two, brush up on it and you can start doing that for my company. So basically two months, two, three months, I did that for free just to gain experience. And then I got an opportunity to start at another company, which was a 50,000 person company, uh, you know, a corporation. Yeah. And uh, there I started as a contractor, $16 an hour. And before I left, I was making a lot more than that on a salary. So I started free and then I ended up getting to six figures. And then I founded my own agency. And uh, I love the industry because it's an ever-changing thing. Obviously, the digital ecosystem keeps changing. You have to keep learning. And the yeah. growth possibility is pretty endless in that kind of standpoint. And like you said, in 2012, I founded my agency and uh, been running in the digital marketing space ever since. I do have a podcast I started two and a half years ago, which I interview you know other people about their journeys, what makes them tick, things that they went through to get to where they are now. Uh, I am a foster parent. So since June 2018, we've had 20 kids in our home. And with this whole COVID stay at home, we've had four kids under six the whole time, which has oh. been a little crazy for boys. And uh, that journey has led us into that by uh, we've had uh, five miscarriages in the last three years and spent over 100k out of pocket on infertility treatment. And that kind of led to the fostering and we're technically designated as foster to adopt. So if we have a child and the parental rights are terminated, we're the first ones that, you know, the division of child services goes to, hmm. to ask if we're willing to adopt. So we saw that as a means of obviously helping children because there's about uh, 700,000 kids in the foster care system in the U.S., which is crazy. Some of them have good foster homes, some bad. And uh, they're just products of their kind of, you know, environments, unfortunately, thrown in, into situations that they didn't create. And we felt we can help, you know, a lot of kids. And yeah. if we end up, you know, adopting, so be it. But in the meantime, we're, you know, giving a safe, loving home to as many kids as we can. I mean, we're allowed to have up to five kids based on licensing because it's based on your home as well. So the number of bedrooms and things of that nature. Gotcha. And uh, the, the whole last eight week that, you know, demographics and different things are interesting being cooped up with four kids under six and yeah. doing a podcast and working and, and stuff like that. So it's been a learning experience and a teaching experience of, you know, my patience. So oh, I can imagine that's crazy, but that's so cool that, that you have the heart to do that and help the kids uh, that really need it. Um, so I, I guess what was like going through your head within like this whole recession, this guy handing you this big pamphlet of information, like that you're like, okay, maybe this could work or, okay, well, I got nothing else. So like, what were you thinking at that? Like during all that? Yeah, it wasn't even an option at that point. I applied to hundreds of jobs and yeah. no callbacks. And then months after month, I guess when you go to college, um, you kind of feel a little like cocky after you graduate with, you know, usually a bachelor's degree. I mean, some people associates or more like you feel like you're entitled to a job in a way. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I kind of thought about it. I went to school for four years. Why can't I find a job or like, I'm not good enough to find a job. My skill set's not good enough, so on and so forth. And you become kind of doubting yourself and your abilities. Yeah. And, you know, I think you, you get down and oftentimes you can get depressed and stuff like that. Luckily I didn't really turn to, you know, like any substance or anything to fill the void. Um, but yeah, I, I felt that was kind of necessity. I had nothing to lose. And yeah. 
you know, I'm glad I kind of jumped into it and kept learning and been doing it ever since. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious because it's not my strong suit at all. It's the SEO. So how, what did you find was the hardest about figuring out how to do that search engine optimization? Yeah. So there's different components of it. Um, there's on-site, off-site and technical. So right. more so the technical, like the, the, the back end of the website, how the website is built, how it's coded um, and how it functions and how it performs based on that and, and search results as well. So stuff like content wasn't that difficult for me or content strategy, the offsite, which is the link building and uh, reputation building kind of um, authority building uh, component of it. Mm -hmm. So I think I had to really teach myself HTML, CSS, other kind of programming languages, at least to, a, a, I'm not saying I'm a developer or a designer uh -huh. or a, you know, a, a engineer, but a, a functional level that I can apply it and use it and be proficient at it in terms of, uh, fulfilling that role the best of that that I could. Gotcha. Yeah, because I've looked into it and it's definitely like really interesting and there's a lot there to kind of look into. If someone like myself is starting out in into trying to get more um, in tune or, or more knowledgeable with SEO, where would you say would be a good place to start? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, industry publication like Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Watch. Uh, those are kind of the two big ones. There's Moz, Moz.com, which was yeah. SEO Moz back in the day, and they rebranded. So there's a lot of uh, great information out there. Usually, if you do a search, you know, learn SEO, things of that nature, they will show up, you know, top one, two, and three. So they're kind of your best bets in terms of getting a deeper uh, dive. And uh, if you are just starting out, there's kind of intro um, PDFs and different kind of learning materials that you can at least get the terminology or jargon and get the definitions for certain things that you may see if you do attempt to either learn or at least be somewhat knowledgeable to understand what you know agencies or in-house people are doing when they're working on your website and optimizing. Gotcha. So it's kind of like an important thing as far as online business and is to kind of understand that or at least have some wherewithal about it, right? Yeah, I mean, online, your website is kind of the, the pillar of your brand and reputation. So the further you can reach and that organic traffic when you build it up and obviously maintaining it and building it over time, because it's not one of those things if you achieve, you know, a first page ranking for a specific thing or your website starts performing, you just stop out of nowhere. That's not how it works. So it's an ever, ever changing thing. And like I said, all digital marketing efforts, in my opinion, that website is who your brand is, personal brand or otherwise. Um, and you should really have that kind of uh, ironclad strategy in terms of SEO and just branding and what your brand is about, the core values demonstrated, the social proof, anything that you can have on there or uh, incorporate that helps uh, a user make a decision to why they're there and why they should choose you for product, service, or information. Uh, the easier you make it, the better chance you have in terms of converting that person. Gotcha. Yeah, because I mean, that opens up a whole lot, especially uh, with like reoccurring like customers or something like that, or just uh, turning uh, people into fans that, that always come back and share and just visit your site. Um, what would be, I guess, within it all the hardest part about like improving your SEO? Well, I mean, it was kind of a lot uh, wild west when I first started yeah. and yeah. then things developed like social media over time. Mm. I mean, uh, Facebook was still in its infancy. Twitter just came out. LinkedIn was in its infancy and all of these platforms. 
have matured and new platforms have came along. So incorporating uh, social media in terms of kind of your content strategy, how to promote it, how to tie it into your uh, search engine optimization efforts and other yeah. things, because simply focusing on search engine optimization is great, but you should really incorporate or at least test different things like paid social, paid mm -hmm. search, uh, social media in general, um, other things in terms of building reputation and kind of collaborating with other like-minded individuals or business on like co uh, content opportunities, different things in terms of video, audio, obviously the audio platform and podcasts in general have grown a lot over the past few years. So incorporating different things within your strategy and then incorporating that uh, also from a technical sense. So different things in terms of like data highlighting and structured data where you can really incorporate things or show the search engine and, and pull things in into other platforms like uh, Google HomePod, if you highlight data, then you can incorporate things on your site if you ask a question and get it in terms of a you know, voice response. So that as technology and you know, different things are changing over time and they're being incorporated, that you, you becomes kind of like the sign of the time. So different things get added to the technical sense in terms of optimization. Mm -hmm. And then you have to kind of keep up and refresh your website in that sense as well. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes into it. And like, and I know you mentioned like the social media and like having that correlation connection. And I know you hear all the time about like the, the Facebook or the Instagram algorithm changing all the time. Like, is that really, does it really change that often in, in, in big like leaps like that? Uh, when they do their first one, I mean, organic reach is pretty much capped for Facebook, Instagram. Um, LinkedIn is still pretty uh, a best bet in terms of content strategy. You can build a lot of um, authority and uh, get your content seen more so than on Instagram and Facebook. When they started capping it before, like all of your you know fans or people within your group can see in their uh, feed what you yeah. posted. Now it's only a limited percentage of that. Okay. So they tried to kind of shift you to a paid model. So if you want to gotcha. have everybody see it, you know, you use targeting metrics of everybody in my group targeted. So they see that or in general move to more of a paid model where they're making business of advertising, which is a key, obviously yeah. uh, money driver for them. For sure. Uh, so I guess, is there, is there a way that you would suggest increasing your organic reach without doing the paid stuff at first? Uh, I mean, I would say depending on the platform, so mm -hmm. groups on different platforms, so groups on uh, LinkedIn are really good. I mean, okay. uh, like a year, year and a half ago, like the reach was a lot better also, but incorporating uh, and promoting your content to like-minded communities. So I would just say, or describe it as piggybacking of already established communities that you're targeting. So especially, you know, if you sell fishing rods, find the top, you know, groups on uh, Facebook that are, you know, fishing enthusiasts and organically position that content to them, drive them to a Facebook group that you can give even more kind of useful or beneficial content to then drive them to either purchasing whatever you're selling, bait, fishing rod, or whatever mm -hmm. in that example, or just whatever you're looking to achieve to be a, you know, informational kind of, I guess, influencer in a way to yeah. share your story or whatever you want to achieve. So I think kind of starting broadly and then kind of funneling that traffic to something more kind of distinct and then eventually, uh, you know, offering something, getting their email, putting them on your email list. And then 
once you have that, you are in control of that per se. So you're taking that broadness off the social platform and then you can really tailor the messaging when you really have that, you know, contact information of those users. Because I would, email is still big, one of the biggest, right? Ways to connect and to grow your audience. Is that right still? It is, but I mean, the the uh, the numbers have gone down in terms of kind of the the open rates and that kind of thing. It depends mm-hmm. how engaged your email list is and how targeted it is. If it's very broad, obviously, you, you're, the campaigns you're running have to be dedicated to certain segments of that list. And the way you actually, you know, tag it in your CRM is important. So where they're coming from, did you have a webinar? Are these people qualified from that webinar? And then you can retarget them in a way. So adding as much kind of uh, defining of whatever the audience is and kind of grouping them so it's easier to target after the fact. Nice, yeah, so a lot to go into that to really grow the audience. Um, Would you say that there, I know you said the algorithms are changing a lot for organic. Is there, what, what about like this whole thing with like TikTok? Is that a viable platform for many or is it just for, you know, teens dancing off and doing random stuff? I got on TikTok actually a couple months okay. ago and um, I didn't really want to sell anything or yeah. like whatever. So all my content is really um, uh, foster care focused. So okay. help for their foster uh, parents, people that would like to get in and thinking about foster care, just showing other people that like ki- there's a lot of kids that have responded that are now adults that mm-hmm. have had bad experiences and good mm-hmm. to the posts that I share. And it's like a wild west there. Like I said, when something first starts, they want as many users and as many creators because the more content they have, then when they start rolling out paid, which they're starting to more heavily, Uh they have that already, you know, established community. So right now it's slowing down a little bit in terms of reach, but it's still not capped. So for example, it took me a, a minute to make a video, 60 second clip. Basically, this was my background other than sound shield and uh, maybe a minute to edit. So currently uh, that video is at like 62,000 views, like 4,000 wow. likes. And it's one of those things, it, it's not capped. So it peaked that, it basically got on the For You page. So if you go, go on the For You page and it, you get a lot of interaction, it basically goes viral to a certain extent. Okay. So it's gotten to 60. I mean, my, main, my next goal is to getting a post to 100,000 plus um, views. And then the next is a million, which is interesting because I'm kind of reverse engineering the process and if I can incorporate it. But like you were saying, because I think because of this pandemic, Mm. the age demo got a lot older very quickly (laughs) because it's forcing people to move from other platforms. And I think it's still a very kind of like fun platform where people are just figuring out and it's moving away from like the lip syncing, dancing Mm. aspect to it to basically incorporating different people in terms of what they're going through, um, some of the things they're looking for in terms of support, businesses that are posting things like artists, comedians, it's a good platform to share, photographers. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been playing around with it. I've been creating maybe, I would say, three to six posts a day and seeing how, you know, what things catch, different titles, how things are connected. And uh, you can at least try, you know, worst thing is, you know, you don't have any traction and you feel you can't reach anyone, but the best thing you don't know, I mean, maybe you make your first post and you get a million views. That's a million people that may have not seen that message yeah. or what you have to share. 
You know, a lot of people are looking for platforms to share their message, their story, um, you know, volunteering, nonprofit things that they do, things that are just they're sim simply trying to leave a legacy or give back. And it's, you know, if you test it and it works, run with it. But like for anything in terms of digital, anything new that comes out, like, I mean, when TikTok came out, it was, well, it got purchased and it changed to TikTok. It was musically. It was a bunch right. of, you know, yeah. teenagers doing different, you know, dance videos and stuff like that and lip syncing. So it matured over time and got older. It's still getting older. I think it's still trying to figure itself out as a platform in terms of, you know, how it's grouped and uh, how people see the content. And it's it's getting better over time. You have to also think it is a, you know, Chinese-owned company. Yeah. So the privacy things and um, different user agreements are a lot differently. So uh, different. So I would read it. So if you post anything about, like, religion or something different, oftentimes those posts are taken down. Hmm. Um, they have, uh, well, it, I post foster care content. I've had posts being taken down because sometimes people are just like envious or salty about what you're posting and don't like it and uh -huh. then hit review. So they take it down and then it has to be manually reviewed. Wow. Um, and it happened two weeks ago. I had a post, they manually, re manually reviewed it, but their kind of reviewing process it's kind of shot. So I, I mean, I emailed a bunch of people and posted on other platforms. I had two posts in the last probably two months that's happened and it wow. was reviewed both times and they put it back up. Um, but because they have an automatic trigger that's not manually reviewed, I got a message right after they actually put it up saying, you know, I'm banned from posting for a week because I've got too many violations, which I didn't, but the system isn't made for like that manual change of oh. that. So even though they put up all my posts in the last three, four months that have been technically flat uh, flagged, but all yeah. they were were posts about my experience about fostering the, the trigger still implemented a weak posting ban, which wow. is something I think they should really work on. That's interesting. Yeah. I never would like thought of thought of that happening with it being owned by China and stuff. That's, that's really, I think it's, it's always fun to see new things come about just to see how they, like you said, grow over time. And if they, uh, what will become with them, like Facebook, like how it started. Like I remember MySpace when I was younger uh, and now that's really uh, ancient history. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a great point you made. Just like trying, just, just putting stuff out there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like you, so you say you talk about foster care. So do you, uh, like funnel it back to your digital marketing business at all? Or? No, I, I, I also every maybe five to 10 posts, I'll put up a, um, a post about one of my episodes for my podcast. Okay. A lot of times maybe the conversation goes to foster care or adoption. And then a lot of the interviews I do are on other podcasts and other news kind of outlets or specifically my experiences with the foster care system being a foster parent. So that's already applicable to those communities. So, yeah, cool. you know, assets that I'm given from the shows that I'm on often are video clips and I can just kind of splice it, add some, yeah. you know, titles and headings and then put it back on there. But the funny thing is, it's like, like I said, you have to try. So right. that post that went kind of viral, there was another one basically about COVID-19 because we had to take the kids, they weren't feeling well one day okay. to a place, an urgent care place because the hospital wouldn't admit them because they had no symptoms but that urgent care facility was a COVID testing center. So we basically had to take them there, even though that facility may have been kind of exposed or, you know, compromised by that 
mm. you know, people that were already testing positive. Right. So I posted that and somebody from a New York City magazine publication saw it and then reached out via email and said, hey, I saw your TikTok post. Can you do an interview real quick? And then the next day I jumped on the phone. They basically recorded the conversation. And two days later, there was a you know news article about myself and my wife, about our experiences and, you know, the pictures I provided from the last few weeks with the kids. So oh. stuff like that, opportunities arise that you don't necessarily think of. Yeah. Obviously, if I did not post that or have an account, that opportunity probably wouldn't have, you know, came about. Wow, that's hey, you never I would never thought about. I guess I need to hop on that train and just start putting things out there. So um yeah, and it it'll be interesting to see like even what comes about in the future as far as online stuff, especially with all this going on, like so much things are realizing like the online way, I mean, it's kind of the future almost. What are, what's your thoughts on that? What do you think the future going forward is going to look like? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely in terms of uh, e-commerce that's going to, I mean, e-commerce is a huge chunk of, you know, sales globally for, you know, products or items yeah. that's going to continue growing. Well, one, you know, different countries are going to come out of this whole quarantine uh, shelter at home thing at different times. So that's going to stay in place and basically evolve from like online shopping um, and how that basically lo looks. I mean, the players for the most part are Amazon. I know uh, there's a company in India that got bought. Amazon was trying to buy it, but actually Walmart bought it. So there are still markets where Amazon may not be number one. They're obviously number two. So kind of different battles for that number one spot in different countries. And like what experiences are they presenting to those individual com companies and globally as a whole. So, I mean, the, the commerce component is big and I think the food industry now, because restaurants are closed are evolving to things like Uber Eats and different things of that Grubhub, yeah. those are going to continue to grow and it's just going to be a more of a kind of a, a digital commerce world per se, because I mean, just communicating wise, it's going to be different. I mean, I don't know if like the handshake itself is going to go away yeah. or different kind of social behaviors right. based on this whole pandemic experience and how that carries over. But like you mm. said, emerging platforms and emerging technologies are just, you know, inevitable over time as technology advances. Yeah. So you have to see and, and apply how you can use that to target your audience because ultimately you're just trying to find and figure out where that audience that you're trying to attract spends time online and then market to them at those places, obviously not being annoying about it, adding value, but yep. you know, bottom line, have a, have a captivating message or a unique value proposition and then basically catering it to that platform or whatever that delivery mechanism, obviously content for Facebook is different than, you know, a Google ads ad and, and mm -hmm. you can still be the same focus, but different kind of messaging and structure gotcha. and basically reaching people and ideally triggering an emotion, usually positive, but it could be negative too, because that's what people remember. I mean, the best ads you watch in terms of TV or the things that connect to you emotionally from something you've been through or something that, you know, makes you happy. And that's the kind of brands that stand out over time, the Coca-Colas and the, yeah. those types of brands that basically show as that being a life experience, not only a soft drink. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, because companies like that, they they show their why, like what they're about, uh, and then they branch out um, to explain like what. So they, they, they harness the emotion part of our brains and our, our, um, our being and, and then 
focus in after that on, and this is why we have a really good product or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it has to tie in. You have to have a good, you yep. can't only have a good message. I mean, if you have a bad product or a bad service or the company is shady, but you paint it a different way, eventually because of the internet, you're going to be found out. So yeah. you have to have a good message and a good product or service or whatever you're trying to kind of convey or pass on to a user video, uh, user or visitor. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the formula. If you have one or the other, it's not going to work. Yeah, I know. I agree. So I, I think it'd be, do you have like a top three things that you would suggest someone starting out within like digital marketing or, or digital expansion to, to start focusing on, to improve their, their path? So just in general, they've done nothing online. They're just kind of getting started. They might have like a, a regular social media presence like everybody else, but they're trying to like brand out. Well, one basically hopefully your brand is unique enough that the naming conventions already exist. You know what I mean? So I would say for any of the top platforms, go in and just create shells. If you're not ready to populate it with creative or, you know, uh, branding imagery, just, just get the profiles created with those brand names because eventually they're, they may or may not be taken, but to be on the safe side, like the, kind of defending your brand like same thing i'd recommend with uh, urls uh related yeah. to your brand purchase all you know variations of them and park them you know you don't have to use them you can redirect the ones you don't use to your main version um or, or main url so i think it's a lot of just becoming visible and protecting your brand okay because oftentimes online i mean there's a lot of fake reviews and fake different things write-ups you kind of have to do that as well. And I think uh, once in a while, I the easiest thing you can probably do is set up Google alerts. If you don't have a uh, yeah. social kind of um, listening platform that you pay for and just search for or kind of add words or phrases related to your brand and your brain, uh, brand as well. So brand in combination, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, something Smith Brothers, I don't know, roofing or whatever, yeah. you know, different things, variations yeah, of it. Yeah. And then monitor at least daily, uh, maybe if you don't have time, a few days to, to see if there's anything negative that's coming out so you can defend your brand because it's, it's a lot harder to build your brand and that brand kind of uh, reputation can be destroyed in, you know, at, in one tweet. Yeah. So figuring that, having a social media strategy, how you deal with different situations, how you deal with negative reviews. A lot of reviews online are fake. So you'll have competitors, you know, acting shady oftentimes and writing bad reviews to try to, you know, kind of dis discredit you or your business. It doesn't happen, you know, to every business, but it is fairly common. So mm -hmm. figuring out how do you deal with that? And, you know, you, you may get a negative review. You can't really please any, uh, everyone. Right. But having a proper kind of formal response to that, you know, either are you going to just leave it alone or are you going to, you know, say, we're sorry for experience. If we can do anything else, if it's a restaurant, maybe coming for, for another meal, give us another try or offer a savings or a refund or reimbursement. But have that kind of response be public because just sitting there and yeah. not doing anything isn't the right strategy in that sense. Okay. Cool. Wow. Awesome. I think those are great. Definitely tips for people starting out um, or even trying to rebrand or whatnot. Um, so I appreciate it. Roman, um, before you go, I, I, we're so appreciative of your time. I'd like to ask one question that has to do with like pencil leadership. 
um, the last trait. So obviously a pencil is, is made to leave a mark um, and it can do that on any kind of surface. It might just take more work. So at the end of, after, after everything's over the end of your time here on earth, what do you hope your mark is that you've left that people see? I think the, the, the question as a whole, I think leaving a legacy. So a lot of people don't necessarily switch over to a legacy mindset. I think when I turned 30, it was more about kind of chasing material things and titles and that kind of thing to giving back and leaving a legacy in terms of people that have come across me, people that maybe have met me once. I left an impression, uh, kids that I fostered that maybe that you know, month or year in my home really changed the path or trajectory of, you know, their whole process and just kind of giving back as much as I can in digital, anything I can offer, you know, a lot of stuff I do pro bono uh, for nonprofits and stuff like that free of charge. And I think it is gratifying and rewarding oftentimes on LinkedIn and other platforms. You know, we see what you're doing. We see what you're putting in terms of uh, the community, what you're trying to do and accomplish. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're doing a good job and keep going and stuff like that. Just words of encouragement really show that, you know, you're on the right path. And oftentimes there are more people watching than actually saying. So mm. you're really impacting a lot of people. I mean, I've had people come out of the woodwork that last time I've seen them was like 10 years ago. And like last five years, I saw you really like, you know, all your content on social, but they haven't said one comment, have contacted me in any way. They're just, you know, somebody I met or went to school with at some yeah. point. And they're like, we, you know, it's really inspirational and like, it's you know, awesome. thank God you're doing that. And it's just one of those things, like I said, you, you don't know who's watching. And I think everybody has that duty to, you know, impact a lot of athletes oftentimes say, you know, I'm not a hero or I'm not a role model. But if you're given that platform or of limelight or not, just those around you in communities, at least try to, you know, do good in my opinion or set a good example. Because, I mean, I think you just owe it to the human race in general. There's so many bad things going on there. Yeah. I think I, I would do a disservice to the people that came before me, the people that brought me to this country, if I didn't give it my all and at least try to leave a mark in that sense as well. Wow. That's awesome, Roman. I love that. And yeah, it's, I think everyone has influence no matter what level or position in some way. Cause like you said, if someone's always watching, they might not say anything, but so we have that kind of duty uh, to them to set a good example. So uh, again, Roman, thank you so much uh, for being on Pencil Leadership today, uh, bringing a lot of great knowledge about uh, digital marketing, SEO, uh, and just how how to leave a legacy. So we really appreciate you being on today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed it, share this with someone else and make a positive impact on their life. Also, head on over and leave a five-star rating if you liked anything you heard today. And let me know what you think so I can make this show better for you in the future. And go ahead and connect with me on Instagram at chris.t.anderson. Love to hear from you. Now let's go out and make a difference as pencil leaders.